Beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Well, good morning from California, and welcome to the Wisdom of the Soul class. I'm Michael Benner, but I bet you knew that. This is class number 30, and uh, we're going to follow up on the topics from the last couple of classes today. Two weeks ago, we did a class on karma, and uh, I think I called it karma colon, it's all good. And uh, everything is karma. I think that was the main a point of the class a couple of weeks ago that so many people tend to think of karma as good things or bad things that happen against a background of random events. But nothing's random. Uh, we live in a universe of cause and effect, and everything is karmic. You know, whether your toast fell butter side up or butter side down, <laughs> or whether it fell at all. Every little thing that happens is karmic. It's like gravity is always in effect. Not only when you fall down and skin your knee, but when you're uh, walking along or or running or sleeping in your bed, gravity is consistent. It's always there. And then last week we talked about the middle way. And I'd like to pick up with that and then today extend into a much closer look at this whole idea of the secret or the law of attraction. I have some uh, pretty strong feelings about this that I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. It's uh, a, a concept that is real and true and has always been understood since the beginning of time that energy follows thought. That's the way we've spoken of this in this particular class since we began last February. Energy follows thought. And we've also discussed the idea that karma is not merely a consequence or a reflection of our action, our behavior, our speech. In fact, it's even more than a consequence of our thoughts and feelings, but the intention behind it all. If your intention is good, but you fail at something, someone misunderstands you, you insult someone without knowing it, you push their button or or you triggered them in some way, and gosh, I'm sorry, I didn't, why are you so angry at me? Why are you so upset? That certainly was not my intention. Intention is everything. So to be aware of our intentions is a major step in expanding awareness and becoming more self-aware. So today we're going to take both of those lessons, karma and the middle way, 
after our opening meditation here, I'll pick up where we left off on the middle way, give you a couple examples. It's primarily a Buddhist concept. And so the middle way that is uh, karma is an Eastern philosophy that transcends all the religions. It's more cultural than a religious in the East, but it's become a, a popular belief system in the West as well in the last uh, 60 or 80 years. So I think everyone here is familiar with the concept. And then we'll talk about the secret. And if the secret, like karma in the middle way, are spiritual laws, and we use the secret or the law of attraction to attract material goods that benefit only ourselves, does that mean we are misusing a spiritual law? And I would argue, yes, in certain situations, uh, <laughs> provisionally. So we'll, no surprise, take the middle way with an understanding of karma, we'll take the middle way through the whole idea of the secret, the which is really not secret, the law of attraction. Maybe uh, we could say today we'll talk about the secret behind the secret. How about that? Uh, let's begin with our opening focus, meditation for a few minutes. So if you get comfortable... Exhale, uh, stretch a little bit. Back in the room, wide awake, feeling fine. Better than before. Okay, so two weeks ago, karma. Last week, the middle way. This week, a closer look at what Esther Hicks called the secret. I've never been able to determine whether Esther Hicks believed her own propaganda or was just cynical enough to write a book that she knew would sell by appealing to false self-interest. When I say false self or false self-interest, I'm talking about the part of us that believes the appearance of separation. Me as opposed to you. Me as a separated object, just like everything else in the physical world, has the appearance of being a separated object. Now, if we sit through 8th grade or ninth grade science, and forgive me if I'm repetitive about this, it, it, it needs repeating. All of these physical objects are actually energy, all mass, all material, all physically dense stuff, as an appearance or an outpicturing, a reflection, if you will, of energy. Everything is energy. Uh, it's what a nuclear bomb proved. The enormous energy in, you know, a few grams of material. Something atomically heavy like plutonium or uranium, which they then enrich. And it's just loaded with, what, 236 electrons or some such thing. And you bust that baby open and just a, a few grains, a few grams of that material devastates the city. Not to mention the residual radiation, but the, the point is a remarkable amount of energy. I mean, Einstein didn't just say energy equals mass. 
That energy side of the equation is so enormous that we have to multiply the mass times the speed of light squared, which is a pretty big number. So mass, the density of material objects, multiplied by the speed of light squared gives you a sense of how much energy is bound up in it. It's enormous. But the material world is not substantial. It's impermanent. It's always in flux, and it never lasts. Everything rises and exists for a time and then fades away. Everything erodes and rots and gets used up. And uh, It's a hard lesson to learn. We get tricked and fooled into thinking, well, my mother, I remember I can hear my mother's voice as clear as a bell saying, Michael, if you take care of this, it'll last forever. Well, I love my mother. and I, I know she was well-intentioned, but she could not have been more wrong. Nothing material lasts forever. The substantial side of the equation is the energy side. It's energy that cannot be created nor destroyed, and we learned that in the eighth grade or the ninth grade, and then quickly forgot about it because it wasn't carried over from physics into metaphysics as it should have been, much less to quantum physics. If you're going to study one, you've got to study all three, metaphysics as well as physics and quantum physics because the same laws run like threads through all of it. These are immutable laws. So the physical is impermanent. The energy is permanent. What is energy? Well, there's physical energy, but there's also spiritual energy or non-physical energy, which is consciousness. And we describe that as awareness. Those words are effectively synonyms. The, many people have attempted to distinguish one from the other, but many great teachers will conflate the two. And I'm not going to dwell on it now. We've touched on it in the past. We'll perhaps in the future talk about the distinctions, if there are any, between awareness and consciousness. Or maybe better said, between capital A awareness and small a awareness. Capital C consciousness and small c consciousness. The problem with the secret as described by Esther Hicks in her book, from, uh, what was it, 2006, I think. And then there was a movie, too, wasn't there? And a lot of those guys in that movie are still on the circuit. They're still going around doing seminars on how you have an Aladdin's lamp within you, and you can rub that lamp, and the genie will come out and give you all the wishes you could possibly imagine. The secret is if you put your attention on something, you affect it. You either create it and bring it into manifestation or redeem it, as in healing. And you know what? That's true. Because everything that exists is a reflection of consciousness. So, of course, if you focus your attention with a clear intention behind it, that's going to affect your reality since the entirety of your reality is a reflection of your consciousness 
Life is what you make it. Life is a dream. Life mirrors you. Regardless of whether you focus on it or know the principles or not. Law is law. Gravity would be gravity even if you didn't understand it or know anything about it. There's a, there's a great quote from the 13th or, or 14th century. If, if I were a king and did not know it, I would not be a king. But if gravity existed and I didn't know it, there'd still be gravity. I mean, it's like before humans discovered the wheel, did the wheel exist? I guess that's arguable. <laughs> before electricity was discovered and Ben Franklin coaxed it out of the sky with a kite and a key, did electricity still exist? Before we induced it along a wire? Well, yeah, of course it did, and so did the wheel. Just we, we weren't aware of it. So a lot of this is semantics in, in how you deal with the word. But the big problem I have with the way the secret was peddled 16 years ago and continues to be presented, even by people who know better, as a way to enrich yourself or get what you want, is that it reinforces the idea that you exist as a separate being. That you are an object and the thing that you want is a separate object and you don't have it. So if you put your attention on it, you can magnetize it, you can attract it. I mean, love is attractive. Consciousness is magnetic, isn't it? And like attracts like. That's a, a spiritual law. Notice, by the way, the polarities of that are reversed in the physical world. Because, again, the physical world is a reflection of consciousness. So you look at your T-shirt in the mirror and it looks backwards, right? Or hold a newspaper or a sign up to a mirror, it's backwards. So in that way, the spiritual law of like attracting like is reversed in physical dense, where opposites attract in electricity and electromagnetism. If you've ever played with magnets... You know, opposites attract, opposite poles attract, and like poles repel. But in the spiritual dimension, like attracts like. So this is a real principle, and this is true, and this law can be used or applied, but not for material gain, and particularly not for the separate self. And I, and I want to say that conditionally. There are certain conditions here. And that's why I want to go back to not only karma, but the middle way. We talk a little about the middle way, picking up where we left off in last week's class, and then we'll apply it to what I'm talking about here, about the misuse of the secret. There's a great story in the Buddhist sutras, and I've heard it in several different forms but I'll tell you the story as I first read about it. And it's that uh, Buddha is sitting under the Bodhi tree, uh, seeking enlightenment. And this is a man who was born a prince and encountered suffering as sickness, aging, and death, and was horrified. Because 
even though he was a, a young man at the time, he had never seen any of those. He'd never seen sickness, he had never seen aging, and he had never seen death. His father and, and mother, the king and the queen, had protected him from such things. So he got it in his head that he was going to figure out a way to avoid suffering. Well, all the riches in the world did not protect him from suffering. And so he ran away. He had a wife and a son who he abandoned. While they slept, he couldn't find the courage, as the story goes, to tell them that he was leaving. And so he bails in the middle of the night as a young man and runs away. Leaves the kingdom, the royalty, the riches, all of that behind, and goes into the woods, into the jungles, and becomes an aesthetic, a monk. And uh, he, he practices the religion of a lot of these monks, what you might call Hinduism today, maybe more accurately Brahminism in its various forms, or even then, 2,500 years ago, many schools, none of it was really resonating for him, didn't work. But he tried various yoga practices, sleeping on a bed of nails, standing on one foot all day long, attempting to subsist on one grain of rice per day, until he became emaciated. You could see his bones, his rib cage through his body and his arms and legs. He, was, he looked like a skeleton with just a little flesh hanging on his bones. And still he suffered. And so he had tried both extremes. Poverty did not help him escape suffering, a complete rejection of the material world, embracing the material world with great riches and titles and unlimited opportunity and abundant resources. That, that did not help him escape suffering. So he's seeking enlightenment by meditating under the Bodhi tree, as the story goes. And uh, a boat floats by with a musician, a lute player, guitar player, and his teacher in the boat. And as it floats by, the teacher says to the student, you must tighten the string. Just so. For if the string is too tight, it will break. And if it's too loose, it will make no sound at all. And this blew off the top of, you know, blew his mind, so to speak. And he discovered the middle way, which we talked about in last week's class. The avoidance of extremes. And the middle way is such a rich allegory in so many applications in um, the Christian Trinity, for example, the middle way is Christ saying, I am the way. That love is the way, the love between Father Spirit or the will of the divine and Mother Matter, so-called Holy Spirit is the mother, Mater, material, matter, madre. And they have a son, an offspring, who comes third but stands as number two, the middle way is love between will and behavior. The lower correspondence in man, similarly, 
is the emotional nature between the mind and the physical body. That the mind manifests behavior and health through the magnetic force of love or consciousness in the middle. That's the middle way. So the Christ nature, the Christos, the consciousness on the higher trinity, the divine trinity so-called, or the emotional nature, happiness and joy in all of our emotions, the positive and the negative. The, the negative, of course, have value. We've talked about that enough in the past, I'm sure. These are references to the middle way, but it manifests in life in so many different ways. Just avoid the extremes. And so when we talk about the law of attraction and the so-called secret, I'm suggesting we avoid the extremes here too. The extreme is that I can use this magical law of attraction that I can go online and attend some seminar or read any one of 117 books on the law of attraction. I can do my treasure mapping. I can do my affirmations. I can um, do my visualization and guided imagery. And all I have to do is believe and have faith and I will reap what I sow. Those thoughts, the, the intention, the consciousness behind it will manifest. Yes, and it's true. But if you do it only for material goods, what have you gained? And if you do it only for the separate self without regard to your impact on others, what is spiritual about the application of this law? So I guess what I'm asking rhetorically here, is when is the secret white magic and when is it black magic? And is there gray magic in, <laughs> in between? What is the difference between white magic and black magic? Well, I would argue this, and again, just this is just me as a teacher offering you teaching aids and metaphors. This is not carved in granite. I'm not speaking authoritatively here. Black magic is using the law of attraction to deliberately hurt somebody, to target them. You know, all witchcraft is portrayed as black magic. And the witches and the brooms and the mirrors and the cauldrons and the, and the curses and all of that, most of that is not from uh, the, the folk beliefs of real witches. That's... Uh, Christian dogma and doctrine that makes everything that is not what the church says evil. And the more fundamentalist and the more orthodox the Christian church is, and the more likely it is to portray everything else as evil. Whether it's Judaism, which Christianity comes out of, Christianity really is a type of Judaism, isn't it? But you don't have to struggle to find some right-wing preacher today who will tell you that, I don't know who the Antichrist is, but I know he'll be Jewish. It's a horrible thing to say. I mean, it's just the anti-Semitism of 2,000 years. Because the extreme right fundamentalists, whether they're 
Islamic or Jewish or Christian or Hindu or Buddhist or anybody else, the more orthodox and rigid you get, the more exclusive you tend to become. And so my way is right and everybody else who disagrees is wrong. And to make sure that we get the message out about how wrong you are, we'll make you evil because there's only two ways anything can be. You're either with us or against us. So wicked, the very word wicked comes from Wiccan. <laughs> as if all witchcraft is evil. Well, most of it is healing. But, I, you know, are there black witches or wicked witches? Given the, if we put aside the Disney stereotypes of what a witch is, we're coming up on Halloween. And recognize that there's good and bad in everything. Even the Wizard of Oz had good witches and bad witches, right? Glenda was a good witch. She told Dorothy she never left home. <laughs> She's sleeping in her bed. You never left home. You were there all along. But there had to be this little foray. The wizard sent her out into the world to conquer her fear. And then she dealt with the evil witch, the wicked witch. So our, our mythology is just full of this stuff. And so arguably, if you use the law of attraction or the secret to wish harm on someone, in a vengeful way. That's black magic. And can you imagine the karma? Because what you put out in the world comes back on you. You reap what you sow. So wishing ill will on someone or that they have an accident or I want them to hurt. How about this one? I want, what is vengeance? I want them to hurt the way I hurt. And because you hurt me, I'm not going to take ownership of my pain. You triggered it. And it's really my pain, but I'm not going to accept that. I'm going to blame you for triggering my hidden pain. And now I want to do something to make you suffer so that you know how it feels, in my case, to be a victim of my own unattended pain and suffering and delusions and false assumptions and erroneous thinking. I'll blame the stimulus. And now... To double down, I'm going to vengefully use these magical powers to wish you ill and uh, bring badness and hurt and heartache into your life. I wish that for you, that you suffer. Man, that's black magic. That is just evil. And the karma, and why? Only because you will experience the karma. How ironic. The gray magic I'm talking about, in between white magic or using the law of attraction, the magnetic nature of consciousness for your own benefit, knowing you're part of the one life, if that's white magic, then between that and the black magic I just described must be a whole range of, I want only good things, but I want them for me. And I'm not really interested in the impact it has on you. And this is the middle way. This, this, is, this is where we have to find the balance between wanting something for me and using spiritual laws of attraction. Oh, hell, positive thinking. Or, again, Christ saying, you reap what you sow. So what kind of seeds are you going to plant if... Thoughts are the seeds, and your belief system is 
the water and the sun and the nutrients in the soil. The mind is the seedling, though. Then we have to find a way to aspire rather than desire good things for ourselves, but consider that the self as a separate being is an illusion. And so in order to work most effectively and avoid the difficult consequences of karma, <laughs> I'll say it that way, the negative consequences of, of karma, I don't want to call it bad karma, but you could, we have to make our list, dream our dreams with the consideration that this be for the greater good of all concerned. If you use that admonition for the greater good of all concerned, provided this is for the greater good, then you're always safe, you see. So whether you're using the law of attraction as described in The Secret by Esther Hicks or some other metaphysical book, fine. And you can put down on your list everything that you want, the solutions, the results, the goals, your desired outcomes, think positively, come from gratitude, act like you've already got it, like it's a done deal, giving no thought as to how you're going to get to that goal. These principles work. I'm simply suggesting that you add to that a little provision, proviso, which would sound something like, provided this is for the greatest good of all, so that you don't separate yourself and use spiritual laws for material gain. Christ said, store your riches in heaven and not on earth. What does that mean? Well, simply said, you can't take it with you. So why do the vast majority of our friends and neighbors and each of us knows the temptation as well, to orient our lives toward the acquisition of material stuff when it's all in decay. And I understand the, the, the uh, serotonin, endorphin, neurotransmitter hit that we get from acquisition. I mean, even an Amazon package at the door is sort of, oh boy, what did I get? I forgot what I ordered. <laughs> Let's, it's Christmas. There's an Amazon package. Rip it open. How much fun. The brain just loves this stuff. Uh, and, and the big ticket items, you know, a house, a car, a relationship. That's all well and good. But where are you going with it, really, as you get older and older and you got to repair and replace all of this stuff? like you spend the first two-thirds of your life acquiring it and the last third of your life dragging it to the curb for the dumpster people to carry it away. What's the point? You have to ask yourself, I think, what's the point? When is enough enough? How do I find the balance in the material world where I have enough? I have shelter from the storm. I have transportation. I can get around. I have food in the pantry. I can pay my bills. 
What's the point of acquiring more? Do you need millions of dollars? And if we look at the billionaires who've got so much at the expense of hunger and malnutrition and starvation and homelessness, those two are connected quite clearly. Why is there so much hunger and so much homelessness? Where did all the money go? These billionaires never seem to be satisfied. They're always looking for a way to get more. Why? Because they're addicted to this treadmill existence of the dopamine hit, that rush, that search for power, but it's false power. It's the power of the material world of dominance and submission, power over, the power to exploit, the power to kill, to rape, to plunder. And that desire is never fulfilled. I think you've noticed, even in our meager lives, the desire is never fulfilled. Every time you get what you want, using the secret or not, doesn't take long before that desire nature starts looking around for something else. Right? We never get satisfied. The desire nature is never satisfied. So why use a spiritual law to attempt to satisfy this false desire nature that's never satisfied. You're just going to torment yourself. And it distresses me to see people who hold themselves out as spiritual teachers encouraging people to use spiritual laws for material gain when you're not going to gain anything. You're just going to suffer even more. So the middle way in this case like being a king and wealthy didn't do it, didn't help Buddha escape suffering. Being uh, impoverished and uh, refusing to eat <laughs> and have any money at all didn't help him escape suffering. It was the middle way. The lute player, the string too tight, breaks too loose, doesn't make a sound at all. The middle way here is to have enough and let it be. To use your affirmations, your positive thinking, the imperative nature of goal setting. You don't know what you want, any road will take you there, right? It's important to set goals. Just don't hold too tightly on to the outcome. You may get what you want. You may also get what you need. And so when you get what you want, you might not even recognize it right away with this is not what I wanted. No, well, maybe it is what you wanted, plus what you needed. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> well, you got it, so work through it. See what you can learn. It's a balance, isn't it? You see? That's the lesson today. If we can take our understanding of karma, the consequences of our behavior, and this principle of the middle way, avoiding extremes and finding a balance at all times, between the extremes. And then this whole idea of manifestation and uh, when is enough enough? What is appropriate? What is balanced? How do I live a balanced life in the material world where I have a nice car and I have a healthy relationship with my spouse or partner, with my kids, with my parents, with my neighbors, with my coworkers? And uh, the material stuff that we want. Is it about function or form? And even then, the middle way. 
like, do you want a, a living room furniture that is impressive and looks nice and says to your friends, these folks must have a lot of money? Or do you just want something that uh, is comfortable? But still, a balance. What if what you have is comfortable, but it looks like hell, and uh, you're ashamed to have anybody over <laughs> because your furniture is so ratty and moth-eaten and pet-stained. and There's a balance, don't you see? Yeah, I want some nice stuff, but for the sake of just having expensive-looking things or... What's its primary function? What's its real function? So I know there's a lot here. I mean, I know it's easy to be overwhelmed by all of this. But if you just take little bite-sized pieces and, and chew on it, and then hold this in your mind and in your heart in such a way that uh, it's likely to come up again and again every time you set a goal every time you wish you had a new car or new furniture or a better house or a better job or a better relationship with somebody who was nicer and understood me better and we didn't argue all the time. And The biggest trap is the idea that I want it. It's for me. And it elevates this sense of self above all other things. It's what I want, but there is no I. So not only will material excess fail to bring you the promise of great riches and fortune, it reinforces the illusion that you're separate, that you're alone. There is such a thing as a self. And that's just an illusion. There are in our minds, streams of thoughts. Five, six, seven, eight, nine streams of thoughts that we perceive as me thinking. But if there was a singular self, then why do these thoughts that each one of us experiences so often conflict and argue with each other? Why is there so much ambivalence in your mind? And in your heart, if you're unitive and singular. I don't know about you, but I'll admit it. There's, at times, real contradiction and chaos in my brain. I want this. No, I don't. You don't want this. Yes, I do. No, I don't. Wait, what? Which one is me? And then there's a third thought, and a fourth, and a fifth. And which one is me? How do I... Stand above all of that and get a unified view only by identifying as the one thing, the one life, the unitive nature of a universe. Like the wave, I rose up out of the ocean and will live for a time and then exhaust myself and collapse on the beach. But I'm still the ocean. I always was the ocean. The raindrop, the cloud still has an ocean body. Whether we incarnate once or transmigrate and reincarnate over and over again, what is it that's reincarnating? There's just one thing at work. And these are my concerns, which I want to share with you today 
about the relationship of karma, the consequences of our intentions, thoughts, feelings, and behavior, including speech. This middle way philosophy and the misunderstanding of the law of attraction make all of your goals, all of your desired outcomes and results for the greater good of all. And there'll be so much more harmony in your life. It'll be so much smoother and more elegant, right? Stay the middle way. <laughs>